The winter season is over and I am so excited for spring. I can't wait to be back on the homestead more. Even though I have been staying at John's house because of my health issues, I always go home to sit and stare at my trees or admire other beautiful things about my property. I don't always go during the day. Sometimes I go in the middle of the night. I have never been afraid of the dark, so I'm not afraid to be in the middle of the woods on a dark night. I think it's awesome when it's a clear dark night and I can see all of the stars and some of the satellites. It's so beautiful. One night I went and the whole forest looked magical because tiny droplets of water had frozen on all of the branches. The headlights were like shining off of the droplets of ice on the branches and it just looked like magic. My connection with my beautiful home is one of the most sacred things I have ever experienced. I love it when my forest friends stop by to visit or watch me work. I have a special relationship with the blue jays, chickadees, tufted titmice, squirrels, and chipmunks. They are the friends I communicate with most on my property. When I want to clear my mind, I love to go to my property in the middle of the night and I turn off the car, I turn off the headlights, and I just sit in the perfect darkness and I love how separated I feel from society. For some reason darkness helps me think it helps me reflect. I am going to talk more about darkness and shadow work and meditation and that whole thing, but in this episode, I want to talk about a book I bought and about monthly updates I'm going to do and different forest friends that I'm going to introduce you to. This book is called Naturally Curious. It's a photographic field guide and month-to-month journey through the fields, woods, and marshes of New England. It's by Mary Holland. Mary Holland is a naturalist, educator, wildlife photographer, blogger, and author. She lives in Heartland, Vermont. Heartland, Vermont is about 80 miles away from me. It is further north, but given my elevation, it's almost as though I am further north than I am because I am at about 1,000 feet above sea level. So I do live in Massachusetts, but I'm inland, so I'm not in the Boston area, which is near the coast. I'm like in the middle of the state, and I'm like close to the New Hampshire border, and because I'm 1,000 feet above sea level and not super close to the ocean, the weather here is pretty different than the Boston area. So it's usually about 10 degrees colder. It feels like winter is longer. One of the good things though about my area is that I never really feel the need for air conditioning because in the summertime, there seems to always be a nice cool breeze at night. The nights are cold here basically. That's what I'm saying. But it's good for summer. So anyway, if you are in the northern hemisphere, you know that we are now in spring, which is a really exciting time for anybody who feels connected to nature. Everything is just coming alive again. All of the animals are coming out. It's just a beautiful time. The air smells good. The sun is shining brighter and warmer. The days are actually getting warmer. It's just a wonderful time of the year. 
So back to this book, Naturally Curious. It costs a little over $30 US, but it is a wealth of knowledge. There is so much information in here on nature. I want to share some of that with you. But first, okay, so it's March 2022. And just a few weeks ago when I was on the property, it was like the end of February. I was sitting in the car and I like to sit sometimes and just, like I said, stare at the trees, uh, wait to see which of my friends are going to come out. I whistle at them. I always do the same whistle so they'll recognize me. I think they would recognize me anyway, but I always go... So that's my little like hello whistle to them. And usually it's the chickadees that will come around and start making noise and like flying kind of close. But on that day, it was a lot of different birds. So I was whistling back and forth with, I think, the chickadees. I saw a crow fly overhead making some noise. It seemed like a few different animals. The chipmunks came out to say hello. And then a squirrel came out to say hello. And then on my peripheral vision, I saw a pretty large animal swoop in. So I of course looked in that direction and I could see clearly that it was an owl. And so I pulled out my phone and I won't post the video because I think it shows too much of my property and I really, really don't want people figuring out exactly where I live. And if you do figure out exactly where I live, please don't stop by. That's rude. But anyway, so I got a video of the owl. And if you've been listening to my podcast for a while, you know that this owl saga has been going on for a while. So I thought initially, like last year, that it was a great horned owl because it is pretty big. But given that I was able to see it so clearly and so fairly close and I got it on video, I know now that it is a barred owl. So I want to talk a little bit more about barred owls and this time of year owls are nesting so you're likely actually you're never really likely to see an owl they fly so silently and you know it's pretty rare that you see them because they tend to do their own thing and they're not usually super interested in people but this owl clearly came out I don't know if it was specifically to look at me but it was doing exactly that looking at me I got it on video I don't know if it was because it heard all of the other animals but it was just one of the coolest experiences that this owl swooped out, landed on a tree fairly close to me, and was just kind of checking me out. I just thought that was so amazing. And there are so many more things that I want to share about my beautiful property. For centuries, the British parted ways with the Gregorian calendar and declared March 25th the first day of the new year. This makes enormous sense to most natural historians because March is the month of awakenings, when the earth begins to thaw and life begins to stir after months of relative inactivity. Many hibernating mammals and amphibians resume their normal metabolism, mating seasons begin, a few flying insects appear, migrant birds return from their southern wintering grounds, sap flows in shrubs and trees, and the heat-generating skunk cabbage even blossoms. March is synonymous with rebirth, a new beginning for all living things. This is a time when barred owls are nesting. One of the earliest species of birds to nest, the barred owl, typically seeks out a tree cavity or an abandoned hawk nest, often that of a red-shouldered hawk. That's where 
the barred owl likes to lay its eggs. In fact, two nests were found in different years containing incubated eggs of both barred owls and red-shouldered hawks at the same time. In one nest, barred owls were incubating, and in the other, a red-shouldered hawk was on the eggs. Barred owls often return to the same nest area year after year. In Massachusetts, a set of barred owls that were probably related nested in the same pine woods for 34 years. Barred owls have a loud, raucous courtship. You wake in the middle of the night to maniacal laughter outside your window. Raucous caterwauling, one voice on top of the other, breaks the silence of the woods. After listening to this jumble of cackles, hoots, paws and gurgles, you know it can be none other than a pair of barred owls in the passionate throes of courtship. Barred owls can be heard every month of the year in New England, but are most vocal during the months of February and March when they engage in courtship behavior prior to mating and laying eggs. As part of this ritual, the male and female often perform a dueling duet asking each other, who cooks for you? Who cooks for you all? It is relatively easy to distinguish the lower-pitched male from the higher-pitched female when they call back and forth in this manner. The barred owl has a broad repertoire of calls in addition to the caterwauling and who cooks for you standard. Single hoots as well as a series of ascending hoots are also given by both males and females. There is a resurgence of vocalizations in late summer and fall, but it pales in comparison to the intense conversations that take place this time of year in the spring. With its soulful brown eyes and gentle demeanor, the barred owl gives no hint of its wilder vocal side. This seldom seen but often heard owl is aptly named for its horizontally barred throat and vertically striped breast feathers. You would never guess that underneath all those feathers is a mere one pound or two of bird, bringing death by night. If it weren't for those loud calls, it would be very easy to overlook the presence of barred owls in our mature woods. Their nocturnal habits and sound muffling feathers make them very hard to detect. The only audible hint of their presence other than their calls is the cacophony of sound when other birds such as ravens, crows, blue jays, and songbirds gather to harass or mob an owl while it perches on a limb. Making a terrible racket and repeatedly diving at the owl, these birds recognize that although birds of prey may be a threat to an individual bird, there is safety in numbers. At this time of year, if a barred owl isn't courting, it is usually hunting for prey. The peak of its nocturnal hunting activity occurs just after sunset. Using its acute vision and hearing, the barred owl locates and consumes small mammals such as mice, voles, squirrels, and rabbits, which comprise up to 75% of its diet. Birds up to the size of a grouse, amphibians, reptiles, fish, and invertebrates make up the rest, depending on the season. In addition, predators such as owls are known to occasionally eat other small predators. As improbable as it may seem, a dead barred owl was found in New England with the remains of a long-eared owl inside its stomach. And inside the long-eared owl's stomach were the remains of an eastern screech owl. Barred owls usually hunt by surveying the forest floor for signs of life while perched on a branch. When prey is spotted, the owl drops down and captures it on the ground with its sharp talons. Those are its nails. Barred owls have also been known to perch on 
on a limb over open water and dive down to capture fish. Other hunting techniques that have been observed include wading into shallow water to capture crayfish and running on the ground to chase an amphibian. A great big bite. Regardless of where or how they find food, barred owls swallow small prey whole head first. Between 8 and 12 hours after a meal, the owl regurgitates the indigestible parts of the prey it has eaten in the form of an odorless, compact pellet. The larger the bird, the larger the pellet. Barred owl pellets are approximately 3 inches in length and 1 inch in diameter. Within the pellet, fur is packed around most of the sharp objects such as bones, nails, and teeth so as to facilitate their passage through the owl's esophagus or gullet while the pellet is being coughed up. By examining a pellet's contents, you can determine the nature of the owl's diet, often right down to the species of rodent it last ate. I remember when I was in sixth grade in science class, we actually dissected owl pellets and we had to arrange all of the bones. It was obviously some kind of rodent that my owl had eaten, and I remember arranging all of the bones according to some diagram so that it looked like a full mouse skeleton. It was disgusting, but interesting. If you're lucky, you may catch a glimpse of a barred owl gliding silently and gracefully among the branches of your woodland trees. However, these owls are definitely heard more often than they are seen. Being quite territorial and thought to mate for life, which can be as long as 18 years in the wild, barred owls tend to remain in the same area for a long time. Step outside in the middle of a February night or sleep with your windows open and know that what sounds like a bunch of raucous monkeys is more likely just two infatuated feathered friends. So I remember one night I was sleeping in my cabin and I have motion sensor lights on the outside of my cabin and one of the lights went on so I went over to look for tracks in the snow to see what might have passed by and there were no tracks in the snow so I knew it had to be a bird or I guess it could have been a bat but I was almost certain that it was the owl hunting because I have a pretty big clearing and if you fly by the light and turn the light on then you get a better view of anything that might be scurrying around there. So another night I remember my motion sensor light went on and it was actually like a squirrel I think or a chipmunk running around the trunk of a tree and I didn't think it through maybe because it was late and I was half asleep but I'm like that animal is behaving strangely why doesn't it go to bed and then I thought about it later on I'm like oh it was probably running for its life. Yeah, it was probably being chased by some predator at night. So I've been fortunate enough to witness a lot of really cool animal behavior. Like sometimes I'm sitting so quietly that birds will come up pretty close to me and they're like searching for worms and things and they don't even notice me until the very last minute when they're really close and then they kind of get startled and fly off, which I think is really cute because I would never ever hurt them. Oh, another thing. I think next winter I'm going to try to hand feed the chickadees. Apparently the middle of winter is a good time to do that and you just have to put the food on your hand and just stand really still and they'll come over and perch on your fingers and eat right from your hand which I think is just so cute. I had a chickadee in my cabin once it flew in by accident and then had some trouble getting out and I felt so bad for it because it was clearly really frightened but anyway those are the black capped chickadees which I'm going to discuss in a second but I want to just wrap up with the barred owls first. I want to talk a little bit about why they fly so silently, the mechanics of silent 
elephant flight, their feathers are constructed in an interesting way. The comb-like leading edge of an owl's first few wing feathers contributes to the silence of its flight. An owl's feathers are designed in such a way as to allow the bird to have silent flight. Several different feather characteristics contribute to this. If you ever have the chance to pat an owl or rub a finger over one of its feathers, you will notice a distinct softness or velvety feel to it. This quality allows the feathers to absorb high sound frequencies. In addition, if you look closely at the leading edge of the first few primary feathers of an owl's wing, you notice that they have a comb-like fringe called flutings. Flutings contribute to the stability of the owl as well as help muffle the sound of rushing air over the wing surface. Finally, the tattered trailing feathers on the back end of an owl's wing may be even more instrumental in creating silent flight by reducing noise as they help break up the sound waves that are generated as air flows over the top of the wings and down over the trailing edge. So here are some barred owl fast facts. The belly feathers on some barred owls are pink and this coloration might be due to eating a lot of crayfish. The larger great horned owl is one of the biggest predatory threats to the barred owl. Because the barred owl's range has extended north and westward, it is now breeding and competing with the less aggressive endangered spotted owl in the western United States. The plumage of male and female barred owls is similar as in all owls, but the female is larger in size than the male. Although barred owls are considered non-migratory, when prey is scarce, they may leave their territory to seek food elsewhere. Barred owls frequently nest in cavities found in deciduous trees. Young barred owls are able to climb trees using their beaks and talons. Now I want to talk a little bit more about black-capped chickadees. This close to domesticated. Most of us are familiar with black-capped chickadees, you know, those inquisitive black and white balls of feathers that frequent our bird feeders year-round. During the summer months, seeds and berries make up only about 10 to 20 percent of the chickadee's diet. The rest is primarily caterpillars. In the winter, their seed consumption jumps to 50 percent, with insects and spiders making up the rest. These seeds are crucial to the survival of chickadees, for they provide the fuel necessary to survive New England's long, cold winter nights. Chickadees have evolved behavioral as well as physical traits to deal with the severity of winters in the Northeast. Not only do they seek out tree cavities and other sheltered spots to spend extremely cold nights, but they actually enter a state of regulated hypothermia at night, dropping their temperature about 50 degrees below their normal daytime temperature, thereby expending significantly less fuel. In addition, they cache seeds as well as insects behind bark, in dead leaves, in knot holes, and even in soil in southern parts of the region. Each item is stored in a separate spot, and according to scientists, chickadees remember where they have stored food for over 28 days. They even remember cache sites that have been emptied, and when they search for cached food, they spend more time investigating sites where the highest energy food is stored. Because of their boldness and their need for fuel, chickadees can be attracted to feeders placed near your home. With patience, they will even accept food right from your hand. First, you must have an active feeder where they come to feed on a regular basis. The rest is up to you. Hand-feeding black-capped chickadees. When? January and February are the perfect time as food supplies are dwindling and temperatures
temperatures are the most severe. The necessity and relative difficulty of finding food in winter encourages birds, particularly human-friendly birds such as chickadees, to take risks that they might otherwise not. When the temperature drops suddenly, birds tend to feed heavily both in the morning as well as late afternoon before settling in for the night. The most opportune time is right after an ice storm before the sun has had a chance to do its work. With tree branches coated in thick ice, chickadees do not have access to the dormant insects tucked beneath loose bark. You will probably have the best results if you start a day before and one or two days after a big snow or ice storm. Time of day? From sunrise to mid-morning is the optimum time to attempt hand-feeding birds. They are the hungriest at this time, having burned much of their fuel supply during the night. Procedure? Be silent and stationary. This interaction demands patience. The goal is rarely reached in a day or two. Only after several visits during which you remain statue-like are you likely to meet with success. The birds must become comfortable with your presence before they will dare to approach you. The first three or four sessions involve standing or sitting very still and absolutely silent, about 15 feet from your feeder for about 20 or 30 minutes. Once the birds resume normal feeding activity, you can, in successive visits, gradually move closer and closer to the feeder, perhaps two or three feet closer each visit. Chickadees are one of the few species of birds that will continue to feed with you closer than eight or ten feet. Even more patience is needed with tufted tip mice and nut hatches. When the birds seem oblivious to your presence and you are within three or four feet of the feeder, set up a stepladder right next to the feeder. Do this at night so as to create as little disturbance as possible the next morning. In the morning, empty the feeder and sit on the ladder with your hand filled with seeds on or near the feeder. If it is a platform feeder, place some seeds a few inches away from your hand as well as in your hand. Eventually, chickadees should approach you, and when they do, they will probably snatch the seeds on the feeder first. When these seeds are gone, the only remaining seeds will be in your hand. It may take another visit or two on your part, but eventually they will land on your hand and feed from it. Fill your feeder after each of these sessions and empty it before the next visit. After a few successful hand feedings, remove the feeder entirely and sit quietly with your hand extended. Don't forget to replace the feeder when you leave. Chances are good that your fingers will provide a perch for the hungry chickadees whose trust you have earned. What to feed? Although chickadees may prefer pea-sized bits of walnuts, pecans, and cashews, hulled sunflower seeds do just fine as a lure at a fraction of the cost. What if I'm impatient? Make a mock person. In time, chickadees learn that this scarecrow is harmless, either standing or sitting near your feeder with one hand extended and holding seeds. In due time, after chickadees are fearless feeding from this fake hand, change places with the dummy, assuming the same position and enjoy your feathered visitors. Here are some black-capped chickadee fast facts. Winter flocks of black-capped chickadees consist of regular members which spend the winter together as well as floaters which are chickadees that move amongst several flocks. If a member of the regular flock dies, a floater may take its place and in doing so assume the same place in the flock hierarchy as the bird it replaced. Every two years or so, young chickadees make long distance movements that are referred to as eruptions. These flights have been correlated with poor seed production further north. 
In the winter, a chickadee's diet consists of 50% animal matter, mostly insects and spiders, and during the breeding season, it rises to about 80-90%, to mostly caterpillars. The rest is fruit and seeds. Adult chickadees have 15 different kinds of vocalizations. Chickadees normally fly at about 20 miles per hour. Chickadees build their cavity nests in dead snags and rotten branches as they are not well equipped to excavate cavities in hardwood. Female chickadees build the nest, incubate the eggs, and brood the young. Both male and females feed the young. Except for occasional eruptions, chickadees remain near their initial breeding territory for their entire life. Thank you so much for taking some time to learn a little bit more about a couple of my feathered friends. I absolutely love chickadees. They are so cute and friendly. And I'm really thankful that I had the chance to see the barred owl up close. There are so many other cool animals that visit my homestead and that live on the property that I want to share more with you about. So look forward to that. I hope you are enjoying the warmer weather and the longer days. Thank you so much for listening to Path of a Green Witch podcast.